I got to tell you, it's been a great ride. 20 years uh, I've been able to serve with you here at Hope Community Church, and I knew we were putting together a video to celebrate that. I didn't know about the Coach K clip. That was a surprise. And uh, I will tell you this, the staff who was, was able to arrange that, his future is very bright and secure here, here at the church, and so you don't have to worry about that guy. But you know what's the best thing about turning 20? Next year we'll be 21. And that means that we can officially have wine at communion, okay? So, you know, not to make you Catholics happy. But anyway, uh, how about Tom Clark? Give it up for Tom. He's going to be painting up there all weekend. And uh, so if, if you get bored with what I have to say, or when you get bored with what I have to say, you can just watch Tom. And, uh, but we are celebrating the absolute best day of the year, if you are a Christian. Uh, we are celebrating what we often refer to as the Super Bowl of our faith. And I know what some of you are thinking, but what about Christmas? And that makes sense because for some of you, that's the other holiday where you come to church. So I get, I get why you would think about Christmas. But when you think about Christmas, that was all about Jesus being born. I mean, we all did that, right? But none of us, none of us have risen from the dead. And if you have, and I just don't know about it, I'm not sure why you're wasting your time here. You need to get out there and start your own religion, and maybe we'll celebrate you one day. But this weekend, we're celebrating the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. We're celebrating that event. By the way, when you think of events, there are certain events in all of our lives, no matter how long we live, we'll always remember where we were when that event took place. For example, I was in the second grade, 1963, seven years old. By the way, we did have schools back then. I know that's what some of you are thinking. But I will never forget Miss Settle, my second grade teacher, walking in. It's obvious that she had been crying, and she said, it saddens my heart to tell you that President Kennedy has been assassinated. I'll never forget where I was when I received that news. 1986, I'm sitting in the office, the first church I ever pastored in Southern California, and uh, someone walked by my office and stuck their head in. They said, did you hear about the space shuttle Challenger? It exploded. I'll never forget that moment. None of us, those of us that were alive, will never forget where we were on 9-11, when we first received news that two airplanes had flown into the Twin Towers. Those are just times, those are just events in our lives that we never, ever forget. Well, in the same way, over 2,000 years ago, there were some people, they would never forget where they were in Jerusalem. Maybe they were on a street corner, maybe they were in an open-air market, but they will never forget where they were when they, somebody said, have you heard the news? Remember Jesus three days ago? We saw him nailed to a cross, just saw him. He's alive. He came back to life. And then Jesus spent the next few days around Jerusalem, and he spent time with followers, and he spent time with people who weren't his followers, skeptics and unbelievers. And if you read the Gospels and into the book of Acts, you'll find out that he had dinner with them, and there was time set aside for questions and answers. And then right before Jesus went back to heaven, he got some followers together in Jerusalem. And basically he said this, I'm leaving, you're staying. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but don't worry, you're going to receive power because the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. Hey, guys, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. You're going to get out there. You're going to tell people that you saw me die, and three days later, you saw me when I came back to life. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and then it's going to spread over to Judea, bubble up to Samaria, and ultimately, it's going to make this message of the resurrection. It's going to get all the way to the ends of of the earth. And sure enough, those people went out and they began to spread the news. We saw him die and we saw him when he came back to life. So much so as they're spreading this news throughout Jerusalem, it, it's causing an uproar. And finally, the Roman authorities pull the followers together and said, you guys have got to stop talking about this resurrection stuff. And their response was, we can't stop speaking the truth. We saw him. The fact is, he's alive. And that's why we get together and that's why we celebrate Easter. But let's be honest, 
If it were that simple, we would just sing a couple of more songs, let Tom finish his painting, and we'd go home and eat some peeps, right, or, or hunt some Easter eggs. But the reality is we know it's not that simple. In fact, every year I, I'm challenged with the diverse crowd that I'm going to be speaking to on Easter because I know that some of you here, you already know, you already accept the fact that Jesus is alive. Your attitude is, Mike, you don't have to prove anything to me. I already accept it. I already believe it. I'm all in. He's changed my life. And some of you, that would, that would describe many of you here this weekend. Others, you would be a skeptic, but you're an open skeptic. And your attitude is, be honest with you, Mike, it really, really is hard for me to, to wrap my, my brain around the possibility that a man died and three days later he came back to life. But if you can give me some evidence, point me towards some facts, some things I can study on my own, I'll do the research, I'll form my own conclusion. And, and that's kind of cool that you're open. That's not a bad place to be. But then some of you here this weekend, you're just closed. You're not interested in anything that we're going to do, what we're going to talk about. You know, you're here to get your wife or your girlfriend off your back, or maybe you promised your mom you'd go to church on Easter, so you want her to be happy. Or maybe you work with someone, or they're your neighbor, and say, man, I got this annoying pastor who keeps bugging me about inviting someone on Easter. And you said, if you'll go, I'll take you to the Golden Corral. So you're here, and uh, here's the, you haven't eaten in three days. I mean, like you're waiting to belly up. You're going to be a buffet buster when you get over there this afternoon. And you're like, Mike, I don't care what you have to say. Just say it fast because I am hungry, and I just want to get to the Golden Corral, right? So I realize it's a very diverse crowd, diversified crowd. But, so I want to kind of start like this this weekend. I think there are some things that we can all agree on when it comes to the person when it comes to the life of Jesus Christ. For example, uh, secular historians, skeptics, even the History Channel all agree Jesus was a real-life character. We learned this in school. Uh, he, was, he was born in Bethlehem. He grew up in Nazareth of Galilee. Everyone would agree that around the age of 30, this historical figure, Jesus Christ, went public with a ministry. And during that period of time, he taught thousands of people while claiming to be the Son of God. And a lot of people listened. And it caused a lot of commotion and a lot of uproar. And, and so at about three years later, everyone would agree that Jesus was finally arrested. He was, he was tried before Pilate. He was beaten and tortured. He was nailed on a cross between two thieves. And then his body, after he died, was put into a tomb. This is all pretty much unilaterally accepted as historical fact. But this is where Christians and skeptics begin to part ways. Because skeptics believe naturally so, that when Jesus died, he stayed dead. Because everybody else who dies stays dead, right? So that's what they think. And of course, he had some followers who were greatly impacted by his teachings, his principles, his precepts that he taught. And they're like, we got to get out there and we got to spread the teachings of Jesus. And eventually, this movement of spreading the teachings of Jesus, it became known as Christianity. And uh, most skeptics believe when you talk about Christianity, it really is based on the teachings of Jesus. However, contrary to what a lot of people assume, and don't think I'm a heretic, let me just, just hear me out. The foundation of Christianity is not the teaching of Jesus. And people just naturally make that assumption because the foundation of most world religions is somebody's teaching. But this is what you need to know this weekend about the Christian faith. As Christians, we don't do what we do. In other words, we don't read the Bible, pray, go to church, go on mission trips, help the poor, give away our money. We don't do those things because of the teachings of Jesus. And contrary to what some people believe, the foundation of the Christian faith isn't faith. In fact, if you're here this morning and, and, and you're not a Christian, my guess is that one of the things you really struggle with is the fact that as Christians, we just believe. And you've probably had conversations with friends who are Christians. Maybe you went to Starbucks and you sat down and you just kind of opened up and 
You shared with them all of your unanswered questions about Christianity and why you have doubts and why you're so skeptical about the whole thing. And their response is, you got to forget about all that. You just have to believe, just believe. And you don't get that. I mean, you're too smart for that. You're thinking, I don't just believe anything. And you don't even want to be lumped in with people who just believe. I mean, people who just believe based on nothing, it's, it's kind of weird. You know, they're kind of weird. I mean, we have people here this weekend, they don't believe we landed on the moon. They believe we landed on some sound studio, some sound stage somewhere in Hollywood, California, right? You can believe anything you want to believe. I know people who really believe in aliens, that they live among us. I don't know, look around, it's possible. You know what I'm saying? A crowd like this. But you can believe anything. So when a Christian tells you to just believe, you're like, wait a second, you're asking me to base my life, you're asking me to base my eternity on just believing. But if you struggle with that, the good news is that the foundation of the Christian faith isn't faith, it isn't just believing. So what sets Christians apart from every other world religion? And this, this, is, where, this is where believers and skeptics begin to differ. This is where we begin to part ways. Understand this, if you get nothing else this weekend, the foundation of everything we believe as Christians is based on one event, one event that happened 2,000 years ago. In fact, everything we believe as Christians hangs on not the teachings of Christ. A lot of great teachers have come and gone. Not the death of Jesus Christ. A lot of people have died, even been crucified and martyred for what they believed. The one thing that makes Christianity unique is one event. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the foundation of everything we are. That is the foundation of everything that we believe. In fact, let me tell you why you can't even compare Christianity to other world religions. All other world religions, and you, you took these classes in school, or you can do the study on your own. All other world religions, they had a prophet or a teacher who eventually died. Abraham, he was, he, he was kind of the father of Judaism. He died. Buddha died. You know, Muhammad died. They all died, right? And when they died, their disciples were like, our teacher, our prophet was so smart, so clever, they were so insightful. We've got to keep this dream alive. And so to keep the dream alive, we've got to take the teachings of our prophet and we've got to spread those teachings throughout the world. So the disciples, they went out and they spread the teaching or the philosophy of their dead prophet. Do you know what Jesus' followers did when he was martyred on a cross? They went fishing. There was no let's keep the dream alive rally. The dream was dead. I mean, Jesus died. They were discouraged. They were distraught. They were disillusioned. They thought that they had wasted three years of their life following Jesus around Palestine. They thought that he was going to come, overthrow Rome, set up an earthly kingdom. They were going to be a part of his cabinet. Life was going to be good. All of a sudden, they are angry. They are ticked off that they've fallen for a lie. I mean, they walked away from their family, their career, their businesses to follow Jesus. They bet the farm on Jesus and from their perspective, they lost it all. So they're angry. And finally, one of the disciples spoke up and said, hey guys, we gotta make a living, you know? People aren't gonna give us money just because we used to follow a now dead prophet. So they went back to what they knew. They went fishing. Do you know why? It's because in their minds, the charade was over. In their mind, Jesus was a fraud. These are his disciples. They've slept with him, ate with him, hung out with him, socialized. For three, they, they think he was a fraud. It's all over. Now they got to get out there and get real jobs again. By the way, just so you know, Jesus was, was mostly to blame for this mess. I mean, if you think that Christianity is based on the teachings of Jesus, that that's the foundation, actually, sometimes when Jesus taught, it caused more problems than it actually solved. 
I mean, if Jesus would have just stuck to it, if he would have just taught good things like love one another, forgive one another, be kind to one another, help the poor, if he would have just stayed on those subjects when he was crucified, his followers could have said, Jesus was such an incredible teacher. He had such incredible principles and truths and precepts. We got to get out there and spread his teaching. The problem is Jesus went too far. For example, Jesus had the audacity to say in John chapter 14, verse 9, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He said this in John chapter 10, verse 30, I and the Father are one. I mean, Jesus was constantly comparing himself to God. Everyone who heard him teach clearly understood that he claimed to be God. But I think what really pushed people over the edge is when Jesus made this statement in John chapter 14, verse 6. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I got to tell you, when the disciples heard that, they must have been thinking, Jesus, wow, back off. Why don't you just paint us into a corner? I mean, that's pretty exclusive. The only way to God, the only way you can have a relationship with God, the only way you can go to heaven one day and spend eternity with God is through you. Jesus, that doesn't leave us a whole lot of wiggle room, right? And if that wasn't enough, Jesus was going around telling everybody, hey, listen, guys, just so you know, I'm going to give you a heads up. I'm going to die. And then three days later, I'm going to come back to life. This is what he said in Matthew 12, 40. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. In other words, Jesus made it painfully clear about who he was, God, and what he was going to do. He was going to die, and then on that third day, he was going to rise again. But what's interesting, at least from the disciples' point of view, is when, the, when he died, the dream died. Now, here's the question. If Jesus had been warning them and telling them and preparing them that he was going to die and come back to life, why are they so freaked out? Why are they so distraught? Why are they so disillusioned? It's because they never believed him. Like, Jesus, you don't die. You, you, you raise dead people. You heal sick people. You're not going to die. So they never bought into the idea that he was going to die. They thought he was going to set up this earthly kingdom. And so when he finally dies on a cross, this is what they're thinking. Yeah, if he was really God, how does God allow himself to be arrested and bound, beaten within an inch of his life, die in the most humiliating way known to man? I mean, if he's really God, there is no way in the world that happens. So they conclude, obviously the whole thing was a hoax. Obviously he was a phony. There, there's no use to organize, organize a let's keep the dream alive rally. It is over. And so Peter, who always was the most outspoken, he's like, who wants to go fishing? John, go by the 7-Eleven, get a couple of six-packs. Bartholomew, get some stink bait and some night crawlers. I'll meet you guys down at the dock. Let's just get back to work, right? But understand, this is what his followers hadn't counted on. They hadn't counted on that, on that third day he would actually come back to life. And guess what, guess what happened after he came back to life? Those disciples, that bunch of cowards, then went out and they turned the world upside down. And as a result, there are literally billions of followers all over the world celebrating Easter, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ this weekend. And it's all because of what happened on that third day. But listen to what I'm going to say because this is key. It wasn't because of what Jesus taught, because they had heard every lesson he ever taught. And even after they heard everything that Jesus taught, when he was nailed to a cross, they still deserted and went fishing. It wasn't because of all the miracles that Jesus had performed, because they had seen him heal the man 
who had never walked. They had seen him give sight to the man who was blind. They had seen him when he walked on the water. They had been there when he fed the multitudes. But even after all the miracles that Jesus performed, they still went into hiding when he died. And it wasn't even because he died on the cross, because even after the crucifixion, that still didn't ignite anything in these men. So what sent them out with their hearts on fire? It was when they saw a dead man come back to life. And when he rose from the dead on the third day and they saw him, understand, it changed everything. In fact, according to Acts chapter 2, verse 41, within days, thousands of hardcore Jews in Jerusalem, we're talking about the center of Judaism, they abandoned hundreds of years of heritage and they embraced Christianity. Not because they had heard some good teaching, the teaching was over. Not because they had seen Jesus nailed to a cross. They had seen hundreds, maybe thousands of people nailed to a cross. They embraced Christianity because of an event that was so undeniably true. If you lived in Jerusalem, you would have had to have been a fool to pretend it didn't happen. And it's because all kinds of people were walking around the street saying, I saw him. I saw him die and I just saw him down the street. He's alive. He's alive. Just like he said, he is alive. And these cowardly disciples who had abandoned Jesus when he was arrested, the same ones who had denied they even knew him when they were confronted, these same men who wouldn't even stand at the cross and be associated with him, they went out and changed the world. And if you study your history, every one of them died for what they believed, except John. They tried to boil him to death in oil. He didn't die. So they banished him to the Isle of Patmos. But they all gave their lives for what they believed. They had seen a dead man come back to life. You know what they were like? They were like, if a dead man can come back to life, I don't care what he teaches. I'm on his team. You know what I'm saying? I don't care if he tells me I got to wear Birkenstocks, eat birdseed, and move to Chapel Hill. I don't really care. <laughs> he was dead. Now he's alive. He even predicted it was going to happen. I'm with him. Sign me up, right? And I'm going to tell you something. If we'd been there in the first century, we would have responded the exact same way if we would have seen a dead man come back to life. But you know, there's another reason I know it's true. It's because for century, critics, brilliant scholars, have tried to come up with theories to explain it away that so many people saw Jesus after the resurrection. And there's some classics. You know, you used to have to read books to study this stuff, but now it's on the internet. You can check it out on your own. There's the twin brother theory. Jesus had a twin brother, but this is what it entailed. The disciples stole the body of Jesus, but you'll remember the religious leaders were afraid that that was going to happen, so they placed the Roman guard there. So somehow this ragtag bunch of fishermen, you know, they overcame the Roman soldiers, moved a two-ton stone, stole the body of Jesus, hid it somewhere, got Jesus' twin brother, which it kind of ticks me off. Mary never told us she had twins. Maybe his name was Sam. and says, Sam, you got to get out there and pretend you're Jesus, right? Now, here's, this is what's interesting. I just told you all of the disciples died for their faith. Let me ask you a question. Years later, as they're willing you into the Colosseum or getting ready to burn you at the stake or nail you to a cross, I don't know about you, but I'm coming clean. I am singing like a canary. If I stole the body and set it all up, I'm letting them know, hey, listen, if joke's on us, I'll show you where the body is, right? Never happened. Another theory is the hallucination theory. The hallucination theory is that people didn't really see Jesus. They were so sad. There was so much sorrow. They were so distraught. They just hallucinated, and they thought they saw him. What's interesting is Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that 500 people saw him at once. So one psychologist writes this. For 500 people 
to have 500 hallucinations at the same time, at the same place, over the same person, that's a greater miracle than the resurrection. I mean, think about that. These are from brilliant scholars. My favorite one is the swoon theory. And I actually met someone here last weekend who believes in the swoon theory. And the swoon theory is this. Jesus didn't actually die. He lost consciousness. The Roman soldiers just thought he was dead. By the way, they were experts in execution. Remember where it tells us in John that they cast a spear into his side and blood and water came out? See, John says he remembered that, but this is what the soldiers used to do, the Roman soldiers. They would take the spear, they would put it through the ribs into the pericardium surrounding the heart because they knew that when you died, the white and the red corpuscles separated and settled in the heart. And when they stuck the spear into the heart, John said it looked like blood and water came out. He wasn't a doctor. But what literally happened was the white corpuscles and the red corpuscles, and the Roman soldiers, boop, he's dead, take him down, he's done. They didn't notice he was alive. And then think about his followers who had taken care of him and been with Jesus for three years. They prepared his body for burial. They never saw any indication that he was alive. They wrapped him up like a mummy. They put him in a tomb. They, they put a two-ton stone in front of it. But in the coolness of the tomb, Jesus revived. And he stretched and thought, man, I'm a little sore, but nothing that a couple of Tylenol can't take care of, right? And somehow he unwrapped himself, moved a two-ton stone, and walked out. Ta-da! You know, I mean, seriously, it takes more faith to believe that than to just believe the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All kind of theories out there. And I get why there's so much energy put into trying to explain it away. Because, listen, if a dead man came back to life, here's the question I got to ask myself. What does that mean for me? So I got to figure out a way it didn't happen. You got to understand everything we are as followers of Jesus Christ hinges not on a teaching, not on a philosophy, not on a principle. It hinges on one single event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because it validated the fact that he was indeed who he said he was. He was the son of God. So the resurrection is the foundation of our faith. But if you're here this weekend and you're a Christian, there's a real practical side uh, of this to, for us too. It's because not only is the resurrection the foundation of our faith, the resurrection, and I love this part, it is the foundation of our faithfulness. In other words, the reason that I'm to be so committed to Christ, the reason that I'm to say when it works great, when it doesn't seem like it's working, I am still following Jesus. See, the reason as Christians we follow Jesus with a commitment that goes way beyond convenient is because Jesus rose from the dead. And if he can rise from the dead, that changes everything. This is what Paul said, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He's just spoken on the resurrection. He's just talked about all the different people that saw him. And then he concludes in verse 58 by saying this, Therefore, my dear brothers, in other words, in light of the fact that Jesus has risen, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Your translation may say, be unmovable. You know what Paul is saying to us as Christians? When it's convenient, you stay faithful. When it's inconvenient, you stay faithful. When it looks like it's working out relationally, you stay faithful. When it doesn't seem that we'd be working out relationally, you stay faithful. When there are rewards to following Jesus Christ, you stay faithful. But when you're persecuted for following Jesus Christ, you still stay faithful because the foundation of our faith isn't that it works out practically, even though it does. The foundation of our faith is that a dead man came back to life and validated the fact he indeed is who he said he was. He is the son of God. 
And understand, that's why we believe what we believe. And that's why we do what we do. And that's why we live our lives the way we live our lives. I want you to hear from a couple here at Hope who's experienced this firsthand. Watch the side screens. I'm Bart. And I'm Mackenzie. And this is our story. So I met Mackenzie um, when I first got to ECU. And things really started changing in my life. She started taking me to church again, and, and God started becoming a part of my life again. It was still at arm's length, and it was still a convenience thing, um, but He was becoming part of my life again and tugging on me. You know, we, we dated for a few years while I was finishing college. We got engaged right before I graduated. We were in Wilmington for our first engagement party, and we were all excited and we were all hanging out one night and it was his best friend Scott's birthday. And we, we parted ways because Scott wanted to go meet up with his girlfriend and we said we'll meet you later and we didn't. We didn't meet him later. And the next morning we got woken up at about seven and his mom was in hysterics and saying that they can't find Scott. He's in the Cape Fear River. The search was on for him, and we found him about four hours before our engagement party started. Then four months later, I called Bart one morning really early and had to tell him that my brother had committed suicide. So here we are three months out. We lost a best man and a best friend and a big brother. So we just pressed on through those next few months, planning the wedding, and the wedding came, and... I think it was hard to, to really try to understand marriage at that time because I was still trying to understand the loss of my best friend and she had not even had the opportunity to really mourn for her brother. I mean, he, he was gone and, and three and a half months later we were getting married and so in that time she tried so hard to focus on getting ready for the wedding that I'll never forget. Um, just coming home from work when I did get to come home because I work so much. And she was so emotional and so upset, and I felt um, helpless. We found out we were pregnant with our first son. We went to our first anatomy ultrasound, and immediately we knew something was wrong. He lived for 18 hours. He was born October 8th and lived for 18 hours, and beautiful little boy. Um, it was the worst day of my life. I rocked my firstborn child until he took his last breath and that thought was in the back of my mind every day and going through what we had been through I was so angry. We were both really mad at God. We had this feeling deep down inside we were never gonna have a child. We just held our breath for nine months and when Eli was born um, I think that was a turning point in our life. As well I started um, letting Murray's life be used for the better, um, helping grieving mothers, helping adverse diagnosis mothers, um, but it took Eli being born to be able to do that because I was still grieving his loss then too. And I think we realized that, you know what, not everybody's life is perfect and it's not just us that's in this battle and I think a lot of the people that came into our lives at that time had strong faith and, and we were able to look at them and go, how can they have the faith that they have after they've been through all they have? They've been through more than we have. We got all in, we started going, we started serving. We joined a small group that transformed our life and we've only been a 
part of it for a short time. And and we started tithing faithfully, like we always should have in, in that period when we didn't. And I think what I've gained from all of that is, you know, we realize there's gonna be some serious storms in your life. Nobody is gonna go through life and everything's gonna be perfect. But the difference in where we are right now and back then is now we've surrounded ourselves and utilized the tools that we need to kind of get through those storms. That's the biggest takeaway from what all we've come through is just finding that community, that small community that you can lean on. One of the things that we're talking about doing right now that Mackenzie has, has always had a passion for and that has um, really started leaning on my heart recently is adopting a child. Something was telling Mackenzie that um, she didn't want to be pregnant again. We've, we've had a lot of ups and downs and, and we just didn't want to risk it. And so we've been talking a lot about it lately and um, we want to adopt a child or children um, to bring them into this world to, to teach them the gospel and give them hope and bring them into our family and teach them what love and hope is really all about. And so that they'll do the same for their children and their children. And, um, I know my kids are going to encounter some serious difficulties in their life, but maybe they'll have stronger faith than I had when I was their age. And they'll have that support system that when they do get there, um, they know exactly who to turn to. Isn't that an awesome story? And I got to tell you, if you're a Christian, when we hear stories like that, we, we ought to be so excited that they ought to have to hose us down. I mean, because it's just a reminder to us that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is fuel for the tough times of life. And you're going to have them. I mean, I'm going through one right now, and I got to tell you, most days, I'm just like you. I don't want to get out of bed. I want to pull the covers over my head, close my eyes, click my heels three times, and just hope they all you know, fix themselves. But you know what gets me out of bed? I'm reminded that if Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he did, then he can handle any situation that I'm going through. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is fuel for righteous living. It's fuel for unbelievable dedication. It's the fuel that inspires us to get up every day and want to be more and more like Jesus Christ. And if you're here this weekend and you're not a Christian, you got to think about this. Because I'm telling you, if Jesus really did rise from the dead, it is time to sign up. You say, well, Mike, how can I really know? I'm not going to try to guilt you into it or twist your arm. I'll just tell you, the best way, I think, is just to read the Gospels yourself. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament. And as you're reading, wrestle with this question. If, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, how in the world, how else do you explain all this happened? How is it that here we are 2,000 years later, Billions of people spread across the world right now talking about the same thing. I'll tell you why. It's because he died and he came back to life. And when he did, it verified his identity and it validated our faith. And when you believe it, just like the disciples, just like many people sitting around you this weekend, just like the couple on our video, your life can be changed forever. Let's bow together. I want you to know that your life can be changed. You can become a follower of Jesus Christ, and it, it may be simpler than you think. 
I think a lot of us, we work our whole lives trying to somehow get back on God's good side. We know we need to. We know that there probably is going to be some judgment, either good or bad. Something's going to happen, and so we do things like go to church or maybe try to be a good person or a good spouse, a good parent, a good kid. And to become a follower of Jesus Christ, what you have to do is you have to take all the trust that you've been putting on yourself to somehow reconcile this relationship with God, and you just, you just surrender that and say, instead, I'm going to put my trust in what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross 2,000 years ago when he died to pay for my sin because of the fact that the third day he came back to life, it validated that he was who he said he was, the Son of God, and he was the one who was qualified to pay for my sin. That's how you become a Christian. You surrender say, God, it's not about me doing my thing. It's about me accepting the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. And just as an Easter, as Easter is a, celebration of an event in history your salvation today it could be a celebration and I promise you it will be a day that you never ever forget Father thank you for all of those who were willing to come today and just listen many already convinced others seeking some may be totally shut down but Father I pray that we would be intelligent people do the research on our own this is not about, oh, just have faith. There's evidence there. Many people have set out to prove that Jesus Christ was not who he said he was, and in the process, they have surrendered to you and become followers of your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that this will be a day, maybe, maybe for some sitting here right now, that changes everything in their life. And they'll walk out of here with hope and purpose and a sense of direction and a confidence and peace that maybe they've never had before. The peace of knowing that they've been reconciled back to you. The peace of knowing that if your son could rise from the dead, you can certainly handle any situation we go through in this life. And then the peace and joy of knowing that one day, when we do die, we get to spend all eternity with you. There is no better gift. There is no better offer. And I pray for those, Father, who are at the crossroad right now that they would make that decision and give their life to you. And we will give you the praise for what you're going to do in your name. Amen.